Hello everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Chi Odogu, I'm your host as always. In today's episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast, I'm going to be talking with Caleb Brakey. As you all know, we've started the Summer Personal Development Series and Caleb is one of my guests on the show. He's going to teach us a little bit more about book marketing. So if you're a thought leader, an executive, an expert, if you want to know how to market your book properly, if you want to write a book, Caleb is the man to listen to because he's going to break it all down so that you will understand the process as well as know what it means to become the foremost authority in your space after you've written a book. So I look forward to the conversation with Caleb. You can find many great episodes on Apple, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening to this podcast. And of course, if you want to hear more from my awesome guests or from me, shoot me an email or go to my website at www.odogwu.com or just hit me up at info at odogwu.com. I look forward to hear what you guys are doing this summer. And of course, as always, stay bulletproof. And now on to the interview with Caleb Brakey. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. My guest today is Caleb Brakey. Caleb is the founder and CEO of SpeakerToBook.com. It's a premier ghostwriting agency for thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and speakers. He's collaborated on book projects for six, seven, and eight-figure earners and entrepreneurs, and he helps them get their message out into the world so that they can be able to double their revenue in less than 24 hours of time. Caleb is a craftsman of the written word. He's a po- traditionally published, published author in both the non-fiction and fiction writing s- sections of um, Amazon. In addition to that, he's also interviewed many athletes and musicians, and he's won several awards for journalism as well as writing. So I'm pleased to have him on the show today to tell us a little bit about himself, his entrepreneurial journey, his background to launching speaker to book and all the words of wisdom he has when it comes to writing a book so with that said caleb welcome to the show thank you so much for having me g that was just a wonderful introduction (laughs) i'm so excited to um hopefully just offer a lot of value to everyone on the podcast today who's uh either an entrepreneur or you know striving to to you know get their their business started or what have you i I hope that today is going to be just a super valuable listen to everyone. Great, great. And there's one thing I forgot to mention. He also runs the firm, which is called Sermon to Book. So we're going to talk about both of them. But before we get started, Caleb, tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. How did you get to where you are today? My goodness, that is such a loaded question. I'm so excited. Let's see here. So I started out uh, as a journalist. I went to Western Washington University and graduated with a degree in journalism. And uh, straight out of the gate, uh, first internship was covering the New York Yankees for MLB.com, which was just fantastic. Introduced me into the sports world. And uh, so did that for a season with the Yankees and then moved on to uh, another uh, uh, paperback in my home state of Washington State and then got my first job and worked as a sports journalist for about two and a half years. And then I just really started to get that itch. I, I find that my personality is, is one that really needs to be challenged. And all growing up, I didn't have a lot of confidence. And so oh. I never saw entrepreneurism as a, a viable option for me. I just didn't trust myself. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I had the skill set uh, to it. So it was never really on the table. Um, so what I did was I chased my, my passion just to write. And so I stepped out of journalism and started writing, signed a two-book deal. 
uh, with a traditional publisher in nonfiction, even though I had started in fiction, actually. Mm -hmm. And so that took me down a, a road of um, – basically seven years of, of going down that traditional route, learning it, uh, honing my own craft, learning how to write well. And then came the publication dates and the books did pretty well, but they didn't do enough to be sustainable. And the question I had to ask myself then was that, um, you know, I knew that you couldn't make a living from writing if you couldn't be a great marketer. Mm. No matter if you are the best author or the worst author, you'll never, no one will ever read your book unless you're a great marketer. There's going to be a lot of bad books that are wet, read very widely and a lot of great books that will never be read. And it all has to do with internet marketing and be able to reach your audience. Um, at least that's the way things are shifting today. You know, it used to be, um, you know, if you had the end cap at Barnes Noble, hey, great, we're going to make you a, a bestseller. But even the big five, New York publishers today, they fail about 75% on all books that they take on. They're losing money mm. because it's not a science and all publishers expect their authors to be great marketers. So what I did is I stopped writing for four years and I started to learn internet marketing. Mm. And uh, this took me down the path of just, I needed to learn how to sell and to present value to the world. You know, first you have to offer great value, mm -hmm. but then you have to figure out how to get it in people's hands. And so then really my businesses uh, launched out of that. I saw how difficult it was not only to just be a writer, but then also to add marketing to it. I have I very rarely have ever come across anyone who has those two skill sets combined. Uh, throw in interviewing from my journalism days, and there was really three skill sets that I knew were valuable combined – uh, but I needed to, to figure out how could I take pain away with these skill sets. And that's really where Speak It to Books and Sermon to Book were launched, where we could start with content, one side for pastors, the other for businessmen, consultants, entrepreneurs, start with their idea, draw it out of them, and then take them to finished book and a marketed, uh, a marketed book where we could start building their brand and platform. And so really that's what my companies are all about. It's creating great content, but then strategizing how to use that content. Cause far too many writers think if they just write it, it'll be a bestseller, but it takes so much more strategic planning. There's so much more about brand about, Hey, uh, a book is the start of a relationship, not the end of a relationship. Mm. And so I'll go ahead and slow down because I, I've obviously talked a lot, but I love to, you know, continue to, to go down the path that you, that you want to on this interview because there's there's definitely a lot of story there oh yeah yeah i mean i was just furiously taking notes all right so let's start from the beginning so you were a journalist you were going around you know interviewing athletes for mlb.com and then you know you give that up you know you said you lacked confidence and didn't trust yourself and you knew that entrepreneurship wasn't on the table so my question is this in all your time doing journalism um, how were you able to convince a publisher to take a bet on you and, you know, give you a, a, an advance, right, to write a book or two books? Because it seemed like it was a leap from, you know, one career to the next. And um, was there anything in between that helped you bridge that? Most definitely. Uh, definitely a lot of hard work, a lot of hustle, and a lot of persistence. So, um even while I was a journalist, I was going to writing conferences okay. every – using our you know vacations to go do that. My wife and I, she's a writer as well. Yeah. And we would travel to writing conferences, meet agents, meet editors, network, connect. My wife and I are very personable people, so it's easy for us to connect with others. Mm. And, and that gave us an advantage, I think, because I think too many people go to conferences desperate. And I think that people in the industry can smell that, and they're mm. kind of allergic to it. And so that was kind of a leg up. Um, and then what I did, I knew that um, – 
in order to transition, I knew that making a living from writing was very hard. And so I looked at my options. I looked at either I could save a lot of money on not a very great journalistic salary, Mm -hmm. or I could find a way to cut my expenses. So actually when I transitioned out of journalism, I looked for the job that would cut my expenses the most. And so I ended up transitioning out and working at a retirement home Mm -hmm. where we actually lived there. And that took care of our room and board. And we could live on $600 a month. Mm. And so what I did was I I bought time. Um, Time was the most valuable thing to me because when I was a journalist, I was writing on my day off, sometimes 16 hours a day, sometimes, you know, six, 7,000 words a day. But that's when, that's all I could write. And so we're going to conferences, we're writing, finally transition. And we worked at that retirement home, just hustling, hustling until... Uh, we got those book deals. And um, and yeah, so really the book deals came out of just meeting, uh, networking, um, an agent finally taking a chance on me, him mm-hmm. pitching it to people. My first book wasn't picked up. But um, what was really cool is that um, an editor who we had pitched to, uh, they rejected the book, but they said, man, I remember this guy from a conference. I really like his stuff. What else do you have? And so we pitched wow. more books, went down, had a meeting, signed a two-book contract, and that's how that uh, that kick-started the, the traditional route for me. But it was about a seven-year journey. Yeah. And I, from what you've just said, now, it just shows me that there's a lot of hustle in there. I know it's popular now to talk about hustle because of Gary Vaynerchuk, but basically you were out there doing the work, going to conferences, meeting people. You were sowing the seeds for seven years to the point where some publisher actually remembered you from a conference that it probably must have not been um, six months or a year before. It must have been way before you met him. That they were That's like, right. oh, actually, this this guy is actually pretty good, you know. I don't like this book, but maybe what else does he have? Because you came off across as you were not, you were given value, obviously, and you were not like um, desperate or begging for a shot or anything like that. So that made you memorable and that made you stand out at the back of this guy's um, subconscious in as much as he hadn't interacted with you for a very long time. Most definitely. It, you know, uh, back at the time I was pitching fiction cause that's where I started in fiction yeah. was my, my, my first love. And, um, the editor remembered me just from that conference, just from a, a conversation and, and pitching. And, and that really meant something just because it did show that, I mean, you're like you said, the word hustle, it can be, um, it can be skewed into different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I, I don't believe in just hustling for hustling's sake. Like yeah. I want to work smart and the smartest way I could work was connecting with people and then just write, writing a lot and mm-hmm. reading a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's really what all great writing comes down to guys like Stephen King, Dean Koontz, uh, and Lamont. You can't read the greats without understanding understanding that the best way to become a great writer is just to write a lot and read a lot of the best writers. Wow. And, um, okay. So there's one advice I've gotten. I think I got it from internet marketing. I think it's Gary Halbert or something where he was talking about copywriting. And he said that if you want to be a great copywriter, you need to copy out by hand some of the best copy of copywriters that have gone out before you. Does something like that apply to traditional book writing? I mean, it, I think it's always great. You know, when I wrote my first two books, I read 50 books, mm. um, on the subjects of for each book. So a hundred books total mm. in research because, um, I, you know, I know I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I do have, you know, I know my strengths, which mm-hmm. is really associative thinking, uh, seeing what's out in the world and, you know, filtering it through my own creativity and making mm-hmm. something new. Yeah. And so I wanted to see what was out there and to see if there was something missing. And, uh, to do that, you know, you do have to study a lot uh, mm-hmm. of the greats. You know, I don't believe that, 
um, any person is, is just gifted, you know, uh, beyond, um, what's, what's already out there necessarily, you know, it, it takes learning from the best. And yeah. so uh, I think things like, like, uh, uh, copying and not, not copying, not plagiarizing anything mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. but looking and studying the greats. Yeah. I mean, uh, even just the, the osmosis, if you will, of, um, like, I remember, um, even years ago when I was watching, you know, like just a really well done, um, TV show, um, it inspired, uh, almost a new level of creativity in me because when you see great story, when you see great acting, when you see great dialogue, mm-hmm. um, then you recognize what's bad. And so you, you recognize your own bad writing, but like, I need to get better because mm-hmm. I, I can see the great now. Yeah. And so you have to familiar yourself, make yourself familiar with the great out there before you really start honing in on your own craft, um, mm. uh, because you need to have your own, you know, kind of BS detector. You need to be like, you know, this isn't good enough. I need to do better than this. Cause too many people approach writing like, um, you know, they, they have it all figured out. And most of the time they have part of it figured out like mm-hmm. their unique voice, but now it's time to, Hey, let's study what the greats are like. And then, Hey, let's make you very unique and, mm-hmm. and use the same techniques that all writers can use yes. and just be- best practices. And then yes, make your own unique voice. Mm. That's, that's, that's basically what I think about when you say all that is, um, you know, you go to call take, for example, if you're an architect, you cannot be an architect and be designing creative buildings like they have in Dubai or whatnot without learning the basics of architecture, which is learning how to draw a bungalow. There may be like a four-story building, you know, maybe copy, I'm not copying, but like emulating what the greats like Frank Gehry and others have done. And then Mm -hmm. once you learn what is great from each and every one of those masters, you can now combine that creativity with your own uniqueness and create something that is truly special. And that makes you stand out. And it'll make you stand out because you have elements of the basics in there. You have elements of the old masters in there, and then you have your own unique spin in there. So that makes it something brand new and fresh. That's right. Yeah, I agree. I love that. So you did that, you know, you published two books and um, the money came in, but it was not great. So my question is this now, um, what is the magic of writing a book that every uh, that most people want to do? What was the magic behind writing a book? And why do you think that in today's time with um, social media, YouTube, podcasting, and all the other forms of media out there that books are still one of the strongest ways to position yourself as an authority and an expert in your field. Sure. So, um, well, I'll answer that, that last part first. Um, books are, I mean, they're, they're authority there. You're, you've poured, it's like this, it's like putting on a t-shirt that says, you know, um, like for me, it might be, you know, writer, that's my identity. That's the space, the real estate that I work in and operate. A book is like the ultimate t-shirt when you're walking around in a crowd, it says exactly what you're great at. Someone can come Mm -hmm. up to be like, Oh, you know about writing. I I, want to hear all about it. Mm -hmm. Um, a book is that authority builder and it's the start of a relationship with authors. It's getting yourself out there. You know, I find a lot of people put their best content and books, you know, they have video courses and things like that, but you could actually do just fine working from the knowledge they give away in their books because you give your best in your book. Mm -hmm. Because even if you don't have a lot more to offer, 
you've built trust. You've mm-hmm. built yourself as the authority, the person who's really bringing it and knows his stuff or her stuff inside and out. And so, um, that's, a, that's a huge part. Um, and then uh, your first question, remind me, Chi, I, I, I've gotten too far ahead of myself. <laughs> I, I think I, I said, why is a book still powerful today? Yes. Okay. You know, this is interesting. You know, I'm, um, I've just, uh, started in my thirties, you know, I'm, I'm early thirties, 31. And what I've found is, um, how I write now, I actually never write on a laptop anymore. Um, I never, uh, and I also don't read books with my e-reader anymore. Mm. I did that through my twenties, but now that I'm on a screen all day, um, books, are actually, um, I, what, when I thought, you know, five to seven years ago that the paperback hardcover, those were going to go the way of the dinosaur. Mm-hmm. I actually find that it's an opposite effect. It's, it's this, um, it's an escape into something, escape away from screens that screens. we are tied to yeah. hours, hours, hours a day. And it, there's something about it that now I believe is fully going to last. And the, the numbers have proven, proven it. The last ones that I've looked at that um, there really isn't being that dent uh, being made. I mean, ebooks have their place, very powerful, but um, books just have this um, prestige about them. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the Kickstarter of, you know, announcing yourself to the world that this is what I do. This is the value I bring. I'd love for you to come along for the journey. And then you find out where you're going to take your readers from there. Oh, great, great. So now what you do in your company, Speaker to Book, you help thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and other experts get their stories from their head into the written word on a page without them having to like sit down and type it themselves. So walk us through that process. How how does the process start? Because I know it takes a process to get everything done from from what's in my head to what becomes a book. Especially sure, a thought leader. So it all starts with what we would just call a book strategy session, and it's it's really getting out on the table everything that the author may not be thinking about. So, like I had mentioned earlier, a lot of folks think if they just can write it and publish it, it's going to be a bestseller. Um, that's just it's too uh, short sighted. We like to help our authors think long term with their their books. Like, hey. Uh, first, you know, what is that value you bring to your to the world? Because the book, it will only ever be as good as the value you offer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it will only be as good as the interviews that we do with you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the effort on the back end with editing and things like that. Um, and so what we try to do is picture, okay, so who is your ideal reader? What is your book about? What are those pain points that we're going to be addressing in the book? You know, what pain points are we really addressing and, and taking that away? And then, hey, what would make this book book a success to you? Where do you want to be? Do you want to be speaking? Do you want to be doing an online platform with video courses and PDFs and and really building a tribe? Or are you more anonymous? Do you just want to write? Do you just want to sell your book? You know, each one has a different path with different energies needed to be focused in in different ways, you know? Mm -hmm. So like for one of my books that I wrote, um, that's very closely tied to uh, Sermon to Book. So I wrote a book for pastors because I knew a lot of pastors were great at uh, researching information and uh, what they needed was just how can you deliver something powerfully. So what I did is I took my own seven point ghostwriting system and I taught pastors in a book called Sermon Crunch Mm -hmm. how to organize sermons in a powerful way. And I use that book really to give a lot of value 
um, you know, kind of put my T-shirt on as someone who who helps pastors, and um, and then from that book they're introduced to Sermon to Book, which is our main service, our main product. So the book itself is selling great. It's you know number three or four in the paid Amazon uh, Kindle store. Paperback does decent as well, mm-hmm. and um, so. The only people who are ever going to find that book are pastors or coaches. So we're also attracting our ideal clients oh, nice. for yeah. our service. And so this, these are ways to think about it. So what runs our business is really phone calls. And so uh, you can imagine through that process, there's also links to uh, connect with us via phone, get a free uh, consulting call. So what is that for our authors? You know, you're not just writing a book. Um, maybe you're you're running a consulting practice. Our first speak to book client, John Hawkins, he used his book uh, to get thirty thousand dollars worth of new clients in his first thirty days, wow. and that's because people just saw the value he brought. And then we had the funnels in place where um, they could connect with them, schedule a call with them. Yes, I want to learn from you. And then there's more. You know, you could always create a video series that you know the book ties to the video series. The video series ties to the consulting calls. Consulting calls ties to the you know. Uh, uh, conference that you have. I mean, all the greats are doing this, the Grant Cardones, the, um, you know, uh, Ty Lopez, whoever you want to, uh, uh, you know, say they all have Brennan Bruchard. They all have this long value add. And usually it starts with a book of some sort. Oh, and that it follows a sequential system to get the person yeah. ready to buy. So that that way you're not chasing the person for a dollar, but the person is trying to chase you to take their money. Exactly, exactly. And so that's really where we start. We start with that strategy. And then it really comes down to when we say 24 hours of our client's time, Mm -hmm. uh, that's what we're talking about. It's months of our time, but about 24 hours of theirs. And those 24 hours are really split into two things. One, the interviews up front. So after we do the strategy call, we figure out, we do, uh, we have an outline call. We're basically working on building out the table of contents. Hey, what is this book going to say? Where is the value? We go back and forth and basically sign off on, Hey, this is the outline that we are going to go through. You've signed off. We've signed off. We think it's going to be a solid book. And then from there, we do interviews, you know, an hour, two hours at a time, maybe mm-hmm. once a week, depending on the client's schedule, walk through those, uh, that, ta- that, that table of contents through every chapter. And then our clients, they go back to just doing life, providing, providing value the way they were doing it. Well, we get to work to get their first draft ready. And that process includes many steps from transcription, developmental editing, uh, my own seven point ghostwriting system. And then we deliver it to the client. Um, and we get feedback. Hey, this is the first draft. Uh, give us feedback, you know, point us in the right direction to get a solid second draft. We go back over the second draft. We do proofreading and then we get on the, the other, the other great stuff like the cover back cover copy publishes a paperback ebook. And that is basically the speak it to book process where we've, we've gone from idea Mm -hmm. to published uh, book ready to go. And then we enter our marketing phase and platform building and thought leadership phase. And that has to do Really, it's simple. It's we want to figure out how to get paid advertising, mm. flowing leads to you on a consistent basis in a way that pays for itself. Mm. Wow, you just mentioned a lot there. Okay, let's, let me start one by one. So the first thing is, what's the role of storytelling in your interview process when you're trying to get the book out of someone's head? Because um, for these people, they're basically professionals, so they're not writing a fictional story. So how does storytelling play a role in your process? 
Sure. I mean, stories, everything, you know, when I first got started writing, I thought people just wanted the facts, just get the facts, get the actionable items, but that's not what readers want. Readers want story. They want to connect with human beings. And so when we're asking our questions, you know, we're going through our outline. A lot of the times we're going to start a question with, Hey, tell me an example of a time when blank, um, what, what were you feeling in this moment? Um, what was that like for you? Um, and going back to my journalistic days, that's one of my favorite things. And I teach our interviewers to do it as well. You just, you have to step into people's shoes. And, um, this is, again, the book will only ever be as good as the interviews. And so we encourage our authors to really dive deep with us. And we have, I've had, uh, men and women, uh, open up to me more than they have their spouse before. Um, you know, uh, one man who, you know, was get, getting to his identity, he kind of, uh, identified as just a real tough guy growing up. All of that was related back to his childhood. I mean, he was, you know, waking up to, to, you know, people passed out in his living room. His dad peed on him for punishment. It was awful. Mm. The things that he was telling me, but what that showed us and, and delivered was an amazing story of this man who grew from, uh, this identity he really didn't need, um, that he had just took on to protect himself. Mm-hmm. And he grew into, to someone who's helping a lot of people today. And so we really just try to dive as deep as possible with our clients to get them to tell their story. And, uh, of course you don't speak how you write. So then it's our job to use their words, their stories, their insight and transform it into the spoken word while keeping their voice. Wait, hold on a second. You mentioned something there. You said you don't speak how you write. I know there's a school of thought where it's easier to actually write how you speak, but why do you say the opposite? I would never, ever publish something that I just spoke into a microphone. Um, Maybe if it was like as a value add for um, people who understood what it was, Mm -hmm. just like this podcast, we could transcribe this podcast and Mm -hmm. there'd be some valuable information in there, but it would not serve the reader very well. It wouldn't, um, writing is so much more concise. Um, You don't have voice inflection. You don't have body language. Um, You know, there's, you have a lot more tools when you're speaking. Yes. Writing's just a different form. And frankly, a lot of clients come to us after having, you know, tried dragon naturally speaking or dictating their own notes. Mm-hmm. Some actually send us in- them interviewing themselves mm-hmm. and it turns out okay, but it's still not as good because questions open up gateways in your mind. Yeah. And if you're not a great questioner, um, you're not going to get to the good stuff. And so that's why we always uh, encourage people to go through the interviewing process and you know, most people who drag and naturally speaking, they get about two pages into it and are like, my goodness, this is not good. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just, it's a whole different ball game when it comes to the written word. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard speakers who can rile a crowd. And if you would have put their speech on a transcript, I would have said it was garbage. Um, <laughs> because you can do so much with voice inflection. You can do so much with pauses. You can do, you can carry so much emotional weight. And I think that's a good thing. I don't mean that to mock speakers because yeah. there's amazing speakers out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just shows you how many more tools you have as a speaker than a writer. So what are some of the best questions you and your team ask your clients to to elicit the best responses that will make a richer, fuller book? 
Man, it's it really just comes down to following the gold. It's like mining. Mm. Um, you might get through an hour of an interview and it might be complete garbage mm-hmm. and you feel it. You know, it's just like, yeah. you know, if you're hanging out with someone new, you either feel it or you don't. It's like, hey, this person, man, I, I want to hang out with this person again. They're awesome. Yeah. We really get along, jive. Um, there's something to be said of that. And sometimes you have to work at getting into that, that trust and that openness. And uh, you have to be okay with saying, you know what, the last hour really sucked, but we just got to the gold. And I've said that in interviews before. I've mm. I've said straight across from the table and said, you know what? We just got to the gold. You know, the past 45 minutes, they, they weren't very good. But here we finally arrived and let's make the most of it because this is we've just we've just arrived and now we're getting out the good stuff. We've hit that strand of gold and now we're digging. Mm. Because basically the person still has to pull the information out of themselves and it might not take up until you've asked follow up question after follow up question until that raw information that's going to make the book will come out. That's interesting. That's yep, interesting. exactly. And did, yeah, so you learned this questioning style while you were interviewing athletes and musicians, correct? Yeah, you bet. I mean, it's I'm an INFJ. I always have a, a natural curiosity, um, and um, I, I really like uh, diving into people's story, and it, it comes pretty natural. Um, but journalism definitely helped hone that craft. Um, I mean, I was not a great interviewer to start, just, you know, dumbstruck, asking uh, cliche <laughs> questions. I've been guilty of asking many dumb questions, but, mm. uh, you know, thankfully after many times of doing that, hopefully there, there are fewer of those now. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I myself, I'm, I'm an INTJ. So, oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> so <laughs> when you said that, I was like, yeah, I kind of actually understand because for me, I spent a lot of time thinking and plotting through and then being curious about something, which which was not led me from finance to actually marketing and now interviewing people because I just felt mm-hmm. that my natural curiosity was taking me somewhere else and I wanted to follow that. So um, let me ask you a, a throwback question before we get back on track with speaking to books. So what was your hardest interview with a celebrity and then um, what did you learn from that difficult experience? Mm-hmm. Boy, hardest. It, it seems like there's oh, there be a lot of mm-hmm. most challenging um, folks who who maybe didn't want to talk. Okay. Um, you know, that's a good one. I'm I'm racking my brain now. Um, there was a few who who you could tell. Here's 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 a challenge when you can hear nothing but cliches. Okay. Um, and this has a two 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 sided street to it. So, um, back when Joe Torre was the manager of the Yankees, he was uh, giving an interview, and a lot of it was just the normal stuff. And I decided, how can I approach this in a way that um, uh, maybe we can just build some greater report? Like, what's mm-hmm. a question that he would like to hear asked? And so, I just did some research, and I knew that. Um, someone close to him um, was going through uh, a, a rough time, and it wasn't like I, you know, dug up something that was secret. It was public, and I just said, you know, hey Joe, how's how's um, you know so and so doing? And he got a smile on his face, and he was really excited uh, mm. to hear that to talk about his friend. And that can backfire sometimes mm-hmm. uh, because you don't want to invade someone's space, so you have to feel it out and things like that. Mm. But um, yeah, you know, it it just comes down to how can you step into someone's shoes and think, you know, what would they want to be asked or what's the part of their life that they, they need to uncover? Hmm. When you, that's um, empathy, right? Being able to exactly. s- see the world through another person's eyes 
and then know what they're feeling because i know when you're empathetic in such a situation you're able to be authentic you can connect with the person you can bring out the right things and you know what you make the bridge between them and you yes they know they're the celebrity and they have something to offer but you make it such that for a temporary period in time they are not the celebrity everybody looks up to they're just a human being and you're reaching out from one human being to to the other to get them to just share their heart and their story it's very true everyone is a human everyone's <laughs> everyone's fighting everyone's fighting a battle yeah. at the end of the day money just doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. i mean material possessions are material possessions it's all it's all going away you yeah. know um, what, what's last is the human there. And if you can see someone as a human and, um, approach them that way, no matter how rich, famous, um, or in a place of authority, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously you, you give respect and yes. things like that, well, sure. but, um, but you treat people like humans. Um, you know, they probably miss being treated like humans. And so, um, far, far too few people approach others like that. Hmm. And what would you say is some of the biggest mistakes writers make when they're initially writing their book without consulting a professional like yourself? Um, I mean, a lot of the same mistakes that I made, you know, when my wife and I got married, we spent, you know, basically all of our wedding money on books on writing. And, and while we learned some things from those books for sure, um, at the end of the day, we learned that you just have to write a lot and, and read a lot. That's it. Those are the two rules. Uh, you can, you can learn some nice tips and tricks, but most writing books are written by writers who never made it at all. Mm. Uh, they're great at they're great at dissecting the language, but the greats they never sat down and said, "How am I going to learn how to write?" They just started writing, and so I think there's something to be said about that. The other thing is you just have to know that you don't know everything. You have to. A lot of writers are so married to their work, and the first thing they taught us in journalism, uh, a saying, I can't remember where the origins of it was. It, it's it uh, it's it's not the most heartening thing, but it says, "Murder your darlings," and it's the <laughs> idea that we're all we all love the words and the sentences we say, but you have to be willing to let go of things that don't yeah. serve the reader, that don't serve the story, that may sound flowery to you and great and epic, but they're they're just not great. And so that's another one. And then just, um, being willing to, to climb up the ladder and being willing to wait. Um, Neil Gaiman put it like this. He said, there's a lot of great writers out there with nothing to say. Mm. And I really connect with that because the older I get, um, the better my writing becomes not because of my ability with the pen, Mm -hmm. but because of what's in my memory, the things that I've experienced, the Mm -hmm. heartache that I've had, the relationships and different situations I've gone through being able to understand human beings. And so a lot of times it's just being patient, uh, because you have to live life. As Neil Gaiman said, you know, um, go get your heart broken, go do this, go do that, go travel. Mm -hmm. Like, um, go have experiences yeah. because that's what's going to make you a better writer. And it's hard to, to be patient. Um, I know that when, when someone wants to be great at something, mm-hmm. but sometimes I, when I look back, sometimes it was just time that made me a better writer. And that's hard to accept sometimes when you want it done yesterday. Yeah. But um, that's definitely uh, something I would, I would um, suggest new, new, you know, new writers take to heart. Yeah, because every good thing that is created or produced actually takes some gestation period before it can come to fruition. So in as much as you may have gone through uh, writing school or film school or whatever, you still cannot make that blockbuster until you've made a few crappy movies, a few mid-level movies. You know, you learn from them, you get... um, 
bad reviews and then you know you take all that and then you put it together and then you produce something that comes out worthwhile later on right right so let's talk about uh, marketing now i read somewhere that for you to actually market a book successfully you have you have to actually start thinking about marketing at the beginning stages of the writing process is that what you apply in your process in uh, speaking to book I'm I'm split on this issue. Hmm. Um, so in some regard, you can say I am going to write to market. I'm going to find out what people want and I'm going to write exactly toward them. That's never been my bent. I don't hmm. feel that greatness comes from that place. Okay. Um, I feel that most and, and a lot of agents and publishers will tell you that don't follow a trend because the time you get by the time you get there and catch up, it'll already be gone. Oh, okay. And I feel like you need to write what's on your heart. You need to write. Um, and it's true. You might have a smaller audience. Your niche might be, it might not lead to your financial dreams you're looking toward. Mm -hmm. And I would just say, be honest with yourself. Like, what do you want? If it's, you want your just money, well, you have to figure out, yeah, exactly what people need, where that missing pain point is right to it. But, um, I would say balance that, like it should be value you truly are passionate about want to add to the world. And so, um, yeah, I'm split right down the middle on that. On okay. uh, I think it's good and wise to think through your readers, the pain points. But okay. I I don't sit down and think I'm going to write this book because this is an issue. I write about it because I'm passionate about it, and I think that most writers uh, need that in order to get to the finish line. They can get to the finish line sooner if they cut a lot of corners, mm -hmm. but it, that's going to be an inferior product from someone who's not totally invested in it. And the world doesn't need more of that. They mm -hmm. need more passionate people who are really invested into what they're doing and the books they're writing and, uh, and working from there. Oh, great. So give me one case study of a client that comes to you for help. You walk them through your process and then tell us a little bit about the results you got for them. Sure. So, you know, I'll go back to John Hawkins, who basically we started Sermon to Book and, and ran it for three years and it grew 100% every year. Speaking to Book started around year two or three. And John Hawkins was our very first client. And the idea behind it was that we weren't comfortable yet. Um, we weren't, well, I would say not comfortable, we weren't um, set up as a company yet okay. to bring in internet marketing into the picture for our pastors. Okay. And so, what we want to do with Speak It to Book was add in what we had already accomplished with Sermon to Book, add interviews and kind of overall planning on the front end, but then really build out the marketing side. And now we're doing this on the Sermon to Book side as well. We're we're helping uh, take, take people once their finished book is done into, okay, now what? What's next? And mm -hmm. so like for someone like John Hawkins, it really came down to, okay, let's build out your landing pages. Let's build out your ads ads on Amazon, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever your ideal clients are. And let's figure out where you're getting your ideal le readers and your ideal potential clients, mm -hmm. because that's where we need to be. And then from there, just, we need to figure out what funnels working, where are we finding your traffic and your readers? And then, uh, how is it converting? It really comes down to that, uh, that simple of a setup. We just want to and when, when I talk and use these words, really all I'm saying is we want to make sure that we're getting in front of people, um, those ideal readers all the time. And to do that, you need paid advertising, which is wonderful. A lot of people think, oh, I don't want to pay for people to read my book or see my book. But 
internet marketing is the greatest gift to writers that has ever happened. Mm. Um, obscurity is no longer an issue. If you want to get your book out there, yeah. you can pay, get it in front of people, which is incredible. Yeah. And um, if you could figure out a way to make more money than you're spending on ads, you have won. You are building your platform. Your book's being read on autopilot. I mean, it's a wonderful thing. And so that's really where we want to take our authors like John Hawkins and how he used his book. Uh, John is an interesting case because um, he's kind of been called just personally himself to rebrand a couple times. And so we've kind of pivoted with him mm. a few times. Um, so it's not a straight case study, okay. but the fact that he used his book to get, you know, 30,000 new clients was just absolutely wonderful. And he's the type of guy you can't get on the phone without having your life uh, impacted or challenged. He's just, he's a wonderful coach and having a book out there that's consistently selling uh, on Amazon getting in front of people, uh, you know, setting up his website, his platform, all those things. It really just comes down to, we want to make you visible every day and we want to set you up with a platform so that, um, uh, not a platform and just like, Hey, you have a billboard of a website, but yeah. we want to send consistent people to you all the time, those people who need you most. I love it. So as we start to wind out the show, Caleb, man, it's been such an interesting conversation thus far. Um, Let me start asking you a few questions for the listeners of this podcast that are still trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. Like you, you, for example, mentioned earlier, you were not looking towards the entrepreneurial path. But you knew that, you know what, you have to take control of your life and go down that road. So for someone listening, they're working in a corporate job somewhere and they're feeling, okay, wait, I used to write books in college or I used to write poems or whatever. And now I want to start something. And um, listening to Caleb's journey, it, it shows me that, you know what, it is possible to transition from A to B, given my skill set. How would you suggest someone start thinking about, you know, um, putting all the pieces of the possible of the puzzle together to start um, going after their dreams in entrepreneurship. I mean, I would look at it as a as just an honest conversation in a coffee shop. I would ask them questions like, "Hey, where do you want to be in five years? What do you What do you want to be doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, how a, a first getting that, and then like, what's the work you want to be doing? What's the the value you want to be feeling? And usually, I can get a clear picture. Hey, I want to be I want to be writing. I want to be impacting lives. I want to be doing this. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I get to the hard questions, and I go, um, you know, how how little are you willing to to live on? How how much uh, time are you willing to invest? Uh, how much delayed gratification can you, can you take? And once I start to get um, a picture of what they want their future to look like, really, I'm just looking for that that sweet middle spot where you see how much work and time it's going to take and their skill set, the value they offer to the world. That's number one, like figuring out what is that value that you offer? Because you might want to be a great painter, but if you're not a great painter, can't offer that, probably not a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you have a very clear path, you you know you have some talent, you've got classes set up, what have you. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's figuring out where the desire and where you want to end up uh, meets your discipline and what you can uh, what you can make happen. You know, um, because. Uh, I was fortunate enough, you know, I was married, but I didn't have kids at the time. I know that that is another thing, you know, you have to put food on the table. You have to do things like this. And so I, when I would talk to someone, it really comes down to figuring out all the the balls they're juggling, where they want to be in the future. And then just working with them and, and, and working with like, Hey, what if we just did this and we carved out this time, you know, an hour a week. And these are the steps you're going to take. This is the class you're going to take. Here's the, the words you're going to write. Uh, what have you, it's just finding a clear actions 
action plan that fits their lifestyle. And then it's just accountability. Like get together with three other guys who are, or or girls who are women who are doing the same thing. Like find your tribe who can push you and encourage you because all great things take time and hard work. And if you're not in it for that, then, then it won't be for you. But if you can see the value, if you're the type who um, it gets you up in the morning. Maybe you're working a corporate job. You're making your your six figures, maybe multiple six figures. But at the end of the day, if you don't feel fulfilled, what's mm-hmm. the point? Sure. And so you figure out um, what does make you alive, and then find those other people to encourage you along the way and to to, to sharpen each other and move toward that goal. And um, you know, don't get started until you've thought through a lot of it, until you've counted the cost, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, once you've counted that cost, you say, are you are you willing to pay it? Are the loved ones around you uh, willing to to pay it, you know, just a lot of questions like that. Yeah, great. So, for one last question, <laughs> sorry, not one last question, two last questions. So, looking back at your career thus far, if you could go back to change something, what do you think you'd change or do differently? I think, um, I think I would read a whole lot more when I was younger, okay, and I would get in my younger self's face. And, uh, tell me that, um, that there was a lot, a lot of talent there that i never saw and that there's not just one way to, to do things. Um, you know, my family complete opposite of me, uh, they run a car, a car, car dealership. Um, they're very mechanical. I, I can't, I, I don't even mow my own lawn. I mean, I hate <laughs> mechanical stuff. I, 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 I seem to mess everything up, painting this, that repairs and, um, you know, to, to really like, if you have that spark in you, like to go after it and, and that, um, you know, I, I would get, you know, tell myself like, I always just, I just never had that confidence. I thought entrepreneurship required all these different things and all it takes at the end of the day is to provide people with value mm-hmm. and to, and to look after their needs and to find those gaps in people's lives and to fill them with a genuine passion to help them. That's all entrepreneurism it, it is. And um, sure, there's there's all the mechanics and things you have to learn. Be willing to learn it because it's all out there, whether YouTube, whether paid classes, mm-hmm. membership sites. There's just no excuses for not learning what you need to to become someone who can help others, become the expert at something. And so that's probably what I would say. Great. Caleb, my friend, it's been a pleasure talking to you for the last almost an hour. So where can people find you, learn more about you, learn more about speaking to book, possibly connect with you and, you know, say, hey, Caleb, I heard what you said on the Bulletproof Entrepreneur. You know, I need to talk with you guys and see how I can um, work with you to get my book from idea to reality. Most definitely. So um, they could contact me uh, either at speakittobook.com or sermontobook.com. I also, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, um, I'm pretty active there. I'll respond to, to any message that comes through. Yeah, sometimes you'll get an autoresponder from me, but if it's a message sent to me, um, I always respond back there as well. Um, emails, very simple, info at speakittobook.com com info at sermontobook.com. And uh, then also the gift that I tend to have ready for, for these shows is um, at a website, startyourbooktoday.com forward slash video and blueprint. Uh, that's our launch sequence that we use whenever we do open enrollment. Okay. And so it's basically our video series 
um, we're closed for most of the year, but the three videos there are walk through our speak it to book process and have three valuable PDFs on, Hey, how do we use books? Hey, what are the four paragraphs you should really have down before you start your book? What's our sermon to book blueprint? And so it's still very valuable. So, uh, that link would be another uh, great place to start as well. Great. And I'll be sure to make a note of all that in the show notes when the episode is published. Caleb, thanks a lot for coming to share your story and your words of wisdom. I really got a lot out of this interview, and I know the audience and the listeners out there got a lot from this also. Hey, I sure appreciate your time and the wonderful questions. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It was really great. Great. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Caleb. Of course, you can find more exciting episodes on odogwu.com or you can just Google the Bulletproof Entrepreneur wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple, Google, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, everywhere. We're just everywhere. So till next time, guys, of course, I wish you the best in your summer. Let me know what you're thinking or what you're doing. You know, tell me your plans for the summer. What are your goals for personal development and self-improvement? And let me know exactly how we can help you here at the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. All right. So till next time, have a great one. And of course, as always, stay bulletproof.